Welcome to the IBSI podcast. This is Gaia Lamperti, and today we're joined by Federico Baradello, founder and CEO of Finalis, an investment banking as a service platform for deal makers. Hi, Federico. Hi, Gaia. Thanks for having me. Lovely. So today we are going to discuss the labor shortages issue in the banking sector. But before that, Federico, maybe you could offer an introduction to Finalis and give us a bit more insights into your professional path. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to. Um, so Finalis is a four and a half year old venture backed software company based in the San Francisco Bay Area, California. Uh, before launching Finalis, very briefly, I was uh, an attorney at Kirkland and Ellis, uh, which is a large uh, global law firm. And I was based in the San Francisco office doing middle market technology company buyouts for private equity funds like Vista and Silver Lake. And it was in the course of my career at Kirkland and Ellis that I realized that there was a tremendous opportunity to modernize the stack that we leveraged to execute on private market deals. And so I left the firm in August of, of 2017 and embarked on this journey to digitally transform the private market deal execution process. Uh, and that ultimately got us to Finalis, which is the first of its kind fully cloud-based investment banking back office as a service platform. We are now supporting 95 investment banks across the United States. And the value proposition includes a regulatory affiliation solution that's white labeled, as well as a fractional chief compliance officer or compliance team support. And we wrap that whole experience with software, which serves as the basis for everything that we will do next. Absolutely. Sounds great. Thank you. And I saw that recently you've been focusing on the topic of labor shortages. I think you've also written about that in recent times. So from your experience and knowledge, what do you think is the cause at the root of this problem and specifically in the context of the last 24 months during the pandemic, how has this become even more evident in the sector? Yes, I think probably the first point that I would make is that many of the trends that we're observing take place in the investment banking sector are not just limited to the investment banking sector. That is to say that COVID has been an exogenous shock that has accelerated trends that were already underway prior to COVID, and it's impacted virtually every industry vertical. And investment banking is just one manifestation of that, or what we're seeing in investment banking is one manifestation of that in the challenges that many of the large bulge bracket banks are facing in recruiting and retaining top talent, especially kind of in that middle tier, everywhere from, you know, two to call it six years of experience as being you know, a really critical gap that started to emerge and it's forced record high bonuses and payout structures uh, when, within many of the bulge bracket banks. I think one of the trends that we at Finalis are playing into is the increased desire for investment bankers to be independent and to work on the basis of their own trust and industry credibility. And what we unlock at Finalis is basically being able to give uh, investment bankers the kind of leverage value that they might have benefited from if they had been at Goldman Sachs 
but doing it in a, in a fully virtualized and cloud-based environment where we're able to deliver very competitive commission splits across the board. Absolutely. And I guess the Finalis story reflects what we've been witnessing in the industry at large because the labor shortages and the fight for talent has led many fintechs in different verticals to come up with innovative solutions to sort of like solve the short staffing issue. Do you have any other examples or any other trends you're seeing at the moment in the landscape? Yeah, I, I think there's many. I mean, one is you know, clearly there's a growing comfort level with the cloud and cloud-based technologies and automations to drive many aspects of these uh, workflows forward. And that's been a very positive development because, you know, one of the things that we think about a lot at Finalis is not leaning in too far ahead of our skis with respect to how we innovate, because it's very important to not alienate uh, the key stakeholders in an industry that has typically been averse to digital transformation. So the way that we have thought historically about innovation is that we start from the back office and over time move into the front office, right? So that we are able to effectively, through our innovation, at least eliminate the perceived risk of that innovation by virtue of the fact that it's happening in the back office and it's not necessarily client facing. And one of the things that we've observed in talking to to so many Uh, boutique investment banks and placement agencies across the United States is that there's effectively a much higher level of appreciation and receptivity to technology. I think that COVID has played a large role there. You know, COVID has forced the virtualization of so many industries. Investment banking clearly is one of them. And an investment banker typically would have said, well, this needs to happen in person. Now is happening in Zoom, right? And that's happening increasingly. Uh, and so it's completely changed the perception of technology, you know, vis-a-vis this, this industry that, as I mentioned, has historically been uh, reticent to adopt new tech-enabled solutions. Yes, absolutely. And when we talk about the consumers and the investors' perspective, how this new model and this new structure is benefiting them as well? What has changed for the better or for the worse? Yeah, I think it's a really good question because clearly there's been a series of macro trends underway that has significantly impacted the, the end consumer or the investor. I think the first point that I that I think is worth making is that private market assets have grown massively over the course of the last uh, couple of decades. I think they've grown by over 10x. Uh, and it's the trends have been driven by a, a variety of factors. You have low interest rates, companies are staying private for longer period of periods of time. Um, but you've also had a stance that the regulator has taken, not just in the United States, but in many countries across the world, to make it easier for investors to benefit from private the private market performance and effectively being able to uh, make investments in the private markets. And so here in the United States, the regulator has been expanding what is referred to as retail access to private markets. And they've done that through things like expanding accredited investor definitions, making amendments to, to the retirement income code, which basically makes it gives people more flexibility with respect to how they want to invest their assets. It's a really interesting trend that, that is underway. And it was already happening pre-COVID. But I think, as you mentioned, you know, the technology it has been accelerated in the context of COVID. And in that acceleration process, there's more and more crowdfunding portals, 
more and more environments where a consumer or a retail grade investor, as, as they would be referred to, can actually get involved and make investments in the private markets, which is, is a tremendous opportunity. I mean, we see all of the volatility in the public markets clearly uh, over the course of the last few weeks. You know, the public markets globally have gotten off to a pretty volatile start. And as investors or consumers are uh, looking to looking for yield, you know, they might be able to achieve that yield uh, by investing in, in private market assets that are now being enabled and made easier by all of these new uh, fintech applications. Would you then agree that this shift to digital platforms has in a way democratized and made access to financial markets and investing a bit more wider for different demographics? Yeah, I, I would I would change the word to democratizing because there's a long way to go. Uh, but but clearly there is much more openness today uh, to the private markets than there used to be. You know, another analogy I think about sometimes is if you think 50 years ago, uh, how many companies could raise private capital relative to today, right? Maybe you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago, you were talking about the Fortune 1000 that maybe were in a position to really dive into the private capital markets. Today, it's a much broader set of companies, right? And clearly you have venture capitalists, you also have venture debt, you have many industry stakeholders that are making it easier for significantly smaller companies, not just the well-established to uh, access uh, liquidity through the private markets. And so it's happening on the supply side as well as the demand side, frankly. And I think that that's what makes it so exciting. Yes, very interesting point. And looking ahead uh, and going back to, to the labor shortages issue we were talking about, what can we expect? So especially in light of this recent wave, which has been very heavy on European markets, what can we expect for the investment banking sector for the year to come? I think we're on the cusp of a wave of really exciting innovation in investment banking. And clearly, we, we believe that we're part of that story. Uh, but the demographic trends are going to drive it as well, simply because investment banks, especially at the bulge bracket level, are really struggling to find and retain quality talent. And they're going to have to find ways for the work to be done with or without the investment banking analysts. And I think that that is going to deliver an, an immense amount of pressure uh, onto the banks to identify opportunities, not just for process efficiencies, with all of which is important, but for automation and streamlining effectively the investment bank, the creation of the investment banking products that analysts and associates were historically tasked to complete. And in your opinion, what would be some of the bonuses and benefits that companies should try to put on the table in the fight for talent now? I think that that's a, it's a good question. And it's not just about investment banking. It's about just professional services generally, because it's not just the investment banking sector that's really struggled to retain quality talent. The legal sector, where, which I was from, you know, has really struggled as well. Uh, and I think that what's important, it's not, you know, historically, uh, you know, the way that investment banks, law firms and other professional services industries have dealt with this problem is to throw money at the problem. And I really don't think that this is a solution that you can simply throw money at. I mean, clearly, uh, compensating people better is one way to deal with the problem, but it's very temporary, right? I think that 
you know, many of the things that younger generations, whether it's younger millennials or Gen Zers are looking to solve for, is a, is a greater degree of autonomy and ownership over the work that they do, uh, more creative license in the work that they do. And historically, these industries have not evolved in a way that create the kinds of flexible structures that account or, or provide opportunities for people to exercise that degree of independence, autonomy, creativity in their day-to-day -day job. The way that we try to address that is we try to make it easier for even folks relatively early on in their career to form their own investment banking platform and to engage in their own brokerage business activities. Right now, we are, obviously, we are very focused on ensuring that uh, anybody that joins Finalis has a sufficient degree of industry experience. But we have also developed a mentorship program internally where we'll connect junior bankers with senior bankers, junior bankers that might be interested in setting up their own boutique with senior bankers that are already established in the form of a mentorship to try and level up that, that junior banker so that they are in a position to join the platform uh, in a way that is going to enable them to launch their own career in the industry without necessarily having to have spent five to 10 years at a place like Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan. Absolutely. And on this note, Federico, I know that Finalis is expanding right now, regionally and in size and in scale. So if you would like to update us on what's in store for the company. Yes, absolutely. So we call it going deep and going wide. So in the United States, we're going deep and we, we are exploring expansions to our existing lines of business to support more securities brokerages that are touching different markets. You know, historically, our affiliates have been very focused on M&A activities as well as private placement activities. That's clearly going to continue to be uh, an important element of our core business, but we're also going to expand into other lines of business to tap in, into other sub-industry verticals within the, the private securities brokerage space. So that's the first thing. And then we're also going wide. And what I mean by going wide is expanding into Canada, the UK, and European Union to start. One of the reasons we want to do that is because we want to provide options for our US-based uh, intermediaries that want to uh, solicit capital in each of these countries, all of which require some degree of regulatory plumbing, but also because we see that there's tremendous opportunities to deliver kind of this last mile regulatory connectivity uh, in these other countries as well. And so we expect 2022 to be a very exciting year in terms of starting to set up all of that foreign infrastructure. Amazing. Well, good luck with that. And it has been a pleasure. Thank you, Federico Baradello, founder and CEO of Finalis. Thank you so much, Gaia, for having me.